Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Let's see what the buzz on the street is. Well, we have a quote from the author, Eric Siegel, most notably known for his book, Predictive Analytics, The Power to Predict Who Will Click, Buy, Lie, or Die. Not quite on our topic today, but it's a good intro. So here's the quote I'm going to offer up on the table. Predicting Better than pure guesswork, even if not accurately, delivers real value. A hazy view of what's to come outperforms complete darkness by a landslide. The prediction effect, a little prediction, goes a long way. Well, this is financial excellence, so we're talking about predictive in the financial realm. And I thought that was an interesting quote to introduce it. So let me tell you a little bit more about what we're going to be discussing today. The lines are starting to blur between the traditionally siloed financial planning and analysis department and the finance team that does the financial consolidation. What is going on? Well, predictive accounting is enabling a more accurate and granular middle-of-the-month predictive close. What is the big deal? It's replacing the traditional month-over-month-after-month planning and forecasting. So I'm talking to all of you in our global listening audience, and I have to thank all of you because we have an audience all over the world and you are still craving this kind of financial insights and information. So the question on the table for all of you is, how can your company leverage predictive innovations for better forecasting and guidance for the business? Big topic. We have three very, very smart panelists. Let me tell you who they are before we get them on the air. First up in a moment, we're welcoming back David Dixon. He is a co-founder of TrueQua Enterprises. That's T-R-U-Q-U-A with a capital Q. And in a few minutes, David will tell us what his company does. Joining us is his colleague, Tony Gutterslow. Analytics Practice Lead at Truqua Enterprises. And rounding out the panel, welcoming back Elizabeth Milne, Senior Director of Product Marketing at SAP, and she helped put this show together. So let's start off welcoming David Dixon. And David has sent us a quote, one of our favorites, David. We never get tired of this quote from Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Douglas Gretzky, CC, born in 1961. I call him a kid. Canadian former professional ice hockey player and former head coach. Played 20 seasons in the National Hockey League for four teams, nicknamed the Great One, and some people call him the greatest hockey player ever. Wow, he holds 60 NHL records as of 2015. So here's the quote. Come on, everybody. We could crochet this on the side of a pillow and you'd all know what it is. A good hockey player plays where the puck is. A great hockey player plays where the puck is going to be. David Dixon, welcome back. How have you been? Oh, great. Yeah, it's been a while. I'm glad to be back on the show. Thanks for having me. We are delighted. Oh, delighted. I love the quote. You know, sometimes we get so many quotes from, oh, Einstein and Darwin and Steve Jobs. We haven't had this one in a while, and we're talking predictive. So I think there's a perfect segue here. So, David, tell me how this quote relates to our topic. And by the way, officially, our topic is predictive close and predictive accounting, getting granular. So, David, talk to me. Yeah, this quote has been used in a lot of different contexts, but I think it's really... Um, apropos for the topic uh, that we're talking about today as it relates to the difference between continuous close, which is you know, working in real time. So 
finance has also, you know, has been often faulted for looking backwards historically and not uh, working in, you know, lockstep enough with uh, uh, the sales and logistics and operations side of the organization. They're always lagging with the information. And really, we're trying to uh, move finance in lockstep with the rest of the organization in real time. But now, with continuous close, that's about real time. But now we're also talking about how do you do something predictively and anticipate the close, and that's where we get into predictive close. And there's a distinction between the two. Uh, I'm, I'm sure uh, my fellow panelists will highlight that. But I like the quote because it talks about, hey, you know, sports is it's all real time. You got to move fast. You got to, but really, it's about you know the great players are the ones out there anticipating, and really, business is about anticipating events and being able to quickly respond to them. Thank you very much, David. Quick question for you. Do you think some people in finance who've been around for a while, regardless of their age or how long they, the maturity of their position, their role in, in a company, do you think they're frightened by this, this fact that, well, first of all, the idea of predictive puts you a little bit out on a limb if you're not confident of the information you're getting, of where it's coming from and the one true source of pr- truth and all that good stuff. The other thing is, uh, do you think it, it, there's a sense that it's going to upend some jobs? because it's so new and fresh and requires more of a grasp of innovation and technology. What's your point of view on that, David? Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, there's a term called future shock that was coined, I think, in the mm-hmm. 70s by a guy by the name of Alfred Toffler. And yep. it's, it's a change management concept that, you know, we're afraid of the future. Uh, things are constantly changing. And finance has been fairly insulated, but now, they're, you know, it's moving uh, much more fiercely into the finance function than ever before. So I do think... There is, you know, um, you know, some people embrace it. Some people uh, maybe are, are fearful of it, but it, it's it's a force that we have to reckon with. Uh, you know, as opposed to culture shock, right? You can always go back to your home, uh, and and in the future, you know, we we can't go back into the past. Uh, we just have to embrace it and adapt. And so, uh, I, I definitely think um, that we have seen a trend where. Technology has displaced jobs uh, over time. We can see it clearly. The job roles and everything is changing. We're seeing much more automation now around even you know uh, uh, the finance. We talk about robotics and you know, automation finance function. So it is going to change the role, but hopefully uh, what we find, you know, in the finance function, we're finding that people that can do analysis and, and shift out of um, the automation aspects of this and move towards the analysis side of it and reskill and retool, we'll have job security. We're finding it more and more that it, it's not, you know, people aren't in the, in the finance function finding themselves out of jobs. They're just finding themselves in, in a new job um, that, that's more analytic uh, and, and more uh, technology-oriented. Thank you. Good point. I wanted to get that in because I just did a show an hour ago on our series, David, called The Future of the Future with Game Changers, and we talked about conversational AI, how it's impacting and making businesses. We just talked about conversational AI, and and it's interesting that one of the topics that comes up, especially for people in customer service jobs, is, wait a minute, you mean a bot's going to replace me? And and we had a a quote from um, an author from the 1860s, she was born in 1860, named Anna Brackett, about if you use machines for the lower purposes, it frees up humans for the higher purposes. Her quote, obviously, David, made in the 1800s was so far ahead of its time, it's almost preposterous that she said it, but she did. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to get that into this conversation. Thank you so much, and thanks for filling in. And uh, Aaron will clean that up, the phone ringing. It's never happened in six years. Okay, let's turn to our second panelist. He is Tony Guterslow. He's a colleague of David's at Truqua Enterprises, and Tony has selected a 
wonderful quote from the Beatles, Be Still My Heart. And everybody, come on, English rock band formed in Liverpool, Liverpool, 1960. There are only two members left, but the original ones who became so famous, John Lennon, late great, Paul McCartney still with us, George Harrison, late great, gone, and Ringo Starr. And it was rooted in Skiffle beat in 1950s rock and roll. They delved into psychedelia, India music, pop ballads, hard rock, and here they are today. They're the best-selling band in history with an estimated sales of 800 million, listen to this, physical and digital albums worldwide. They have more than more number one albums on the British chart and more singles in the UK than any other act and the best-selling music artists in the US. Oh my, here's the quote. Gotta listen up. This is great. I've got to admit, it's getting better, a little better all the time. Tony, welcome to Game Changers. Love the quote. How are you? Oh, well, thank you, Bonnie. I'm doing great. Thanks for joining uh, us. Tell me, you picked a Beatles quote. We're loving this one. And so we're talking predictive. We're talking finance. We're talking uh, change management, as your colleague at Truqua David said. So what do the Beatles, what does that quote say to us about this topic? Tony? Well, um, I picked the quote. First of all, because I am a big music fan and a big Beatles fan, and I'm also always a, an eternal optimist. Um, my wife is a little opposite of that, but she'll say I'm always a glass half full kind of guy. And so this quote, I, I really like it because um, it's simple. And when you talk about the Beatles, that's one of their great appeals is that a lot of their songs, at least some of their earlier songs, were really simple in their message, but yet really rang true and, and touched with so many people. Um, as far as how it applies to what we're talking about today, um, I think it goes back a little bit to what you and David were just talking about, about embracing change, um, mm-hmm. this whole idea of, of future shock and how things are changing around us so rapidly and, and uh, both technology and business processes are advancing. Um, but for me, I, I get excited about it. Uh, for me, I see everything is just getting better and better. When I look back at, at where things were and, and um, kind of how systems and technologies were when I first started my career about 17 years ago uh, and how far it's come since then. It's just really exciting for me. And I just keep thinking it's getting better and getting a little better all the time. And um, wherever we're at today, I know 10 years from now, it's going to be even far more advanced and and even better then. And and to me, all that is just very exciting. And I want to be able to share that excitement with people. And if people have trepidation or, or fear about that, then I think that's it's misplaced, and really, I see this all as, as positive change moving forward. I'm I'm happy for your optimism, and, and again, thanks for the great quote. And question for you, Tony: uh, Is finance no longer a dry, sitting with the green eye shade in the basement somewhere, using mulling over spreadsheets? Oh my goodness! For people who don't have a sense of humor, for don't have don't have a life, is it attracting? I think you might be a millennial on the cut on the early edge I'm not sure but is it attracting younger people you mentioned the word exciting which we rarely hear in relationship to the finance world Tony so go out on a limb here tell me is it attracting this excitement attracting younger people to the to the field today well I think so I, I certainly hope so I find it very exciting um, because I don't think of it as just like you say the old uh, stereotypical accountant um, with a big, thick ledger book just crunching numbers in the basement. Um, you know, finance really is the lifeblood of, of any company. So anyone who has passion for business uh, should get excited about finance, and especially where things are going, where things are today with finance, about how um, 
the analytical capabilities that you have and that we're going to be talking about on the show, the, the predictive capabilities, really can give, give a glimpse into every aspect of the business, how it's doing and where it's going. Um, so for me, I mean, I'm not a, uh, necessarily an accountant per se. I, I'm a business major and, and mm-hmm. I would think of myself more as a businessman. And yes, I think it's very exciting. Thank you. I like that. Yeah, I like I, that. I'd like to add to that. Just uh, Bonnie, yeah, go ahead, I, David. I, I think that yeah, if you, you look at the decision making aspects of the, you know working with millennials and what they get excited about is maybe not so much of you know the gap in IFRS and the accounting you know aspects of it, but more of the decision making aspects of it and the fact that now the technology allows finance to be much more into the operations and be able to be much more, you know, there's opportunities here for finance to be a partner to the, you know, to the exact, you know, the CEO and the executives, you know, within organization and, and be able to help make decisions. And so I think that's the aspect of it is making, you know, better business. Thank you, David. Good, good point. I think I also touched in a little bit in my opening. I said uh, guidance for the business. And that's a theme. We're going to bring on Elizabeth in a second. She knows that's a theme we've been covering in our Financial Excellence Series, which has been on air for several years now is that it's no longer just sitting in the background reviewing. It's now having the information, the insights, the analytic support for making business guidance to the business from the area of finance. So thank you for bringing that up. And speaking of Elizabeth, it's time to get her on the air now. Elizabeth has sent us a quote. Well, we're in the musical world now. A quote from the Grateful Dead. Anybody doesn't know, American rock band formed in 1965, way back in the day in Palo Alto, California, ranging from a quintet to a septet. Everybody should know what those numbers are. They are known for their unique and eclectic style, and they fused elements of rock, psychedelia, there's a word we use for the Beatles, experimental music, modal jazz, Country folk, folk, bluegrass, blues, reggae, and space rock, my goodness. And their fans were known as Deadheads. Interestingly enough, the band was ranked number 57 by Rolling Stone magazine in its Greatest Artists of All Time issue and inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1994. And uh, the Grateful Dead have sold more than 35 million albums worldwide. Founding leaders included Jerry Garcia, who's no longer with us, and the other members have come back and toured around as, as recently as 2015. Here's the quote. Sometimes the light's all shining on me. Other times I can barely see. Lately it occurs to me what a long, strange trip it's been. Elizabeth, you want to sing that for us, please, because I don't know the melody. <laughs> Welcome, well, Elizabeth. I don't sing it. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that musical journey back in time. So Elizabeth Milne, welcome back. It's been a long time since we've spoken. Delighted to have you. Tell me, how in the world did you pick a quote from the Grateful Dead for a topic on finance and predictive? I really have to hear that one. <laughs> well, um, I think it just comes down to the fact that, A, I was a deadhead back in the day, so I did tour around and, and watch The Grateful Dead. And uh, I, I think that what this quote is about is, uh, you mean, once in a while you get shown the light. I mean, it, it's interesting the way that when you're looking at finance, there's different ways of, of looking at things, right? And what a long, strange trip it's been. I mean, that's pretty much classic for, for anybody in any aspect of life. And the the trip that we've been taken on in finance from being that accountant when I was hired as an accountant to seeing the tools and the technology that's available today and how that's going to shape things is going to be something is just that's how I applied this quote in there is that it's been a strange journey and being able, to, you know, just to see different insights within the, the data in finance 
I think it, it translates somewhat into music. I mean, I know a lot of people talk about how music is based on, on numbers, and I think that that's kind of also where I find the link in there at the same time, too. So that was where I brought that all together. <laughs> you certainly did bring that all together. Wow, you got a lot of elements woven in there. I appreciate that, Elizabeth. That That's actually excellent. So let me ask you, give you some equal time here. I asked David and Tony about it. We talked about change management. Is the profession changing? Is it drawing in younger? And I don't mean just for the benefit of saying, oh, we've got some early millennials here. Look at us. But in terms of the energy, the perspective, different different educational backgrounds uh, rooted in more in, in very modern technology. So what do you see as the finance pr- profession? And we're not talking CPA. We're talking the finance from the business side. So, Elizabeth, what do you see? Yeah, I think that it's, uh, you know, the younger generation, they want to they make an impact. They want to make a change. They want to have a purpose. I mean, then that's true of almost every generation when they're at that younger age. And what's possible now, and I think what makes finance and, and accounting so much more exciting now, is that they are able to be officers of change. So they can, they're not only the finance and accounting department. They're the ones who know the numbers. They're the ones who can work with operations in order to make better decisions and impact change and be the officers of change is a lot more exciting than being being counter down in the basement or the data programmer or the data processor or any of those old terms that now it's all about being an actual analyst. When I actually got hired into my first job, I was hired as a financial analyst and I got to work and I was all excited to analyze finance and next thing you know, I'm doing spreadsheets and creating templates, and I'm like, wait a second, I'm an accountant, I'm not an analyst. But that was a long time ago, but I think that that has really changed in today's world, so that when it doesn't, it's more inviting when you get to work and you actually are an analyst, and they didn't trick you into being an accountant. <laughs> That's very, very interesting. Thank you very much. Uh, and now let's turn around the table to David Dixon. We have a good story. David, we called you. You didn't call us. Why don't you tell us where you are today? And this is the part of the show. We get a little up close and personal. Elizabeth has done it. David has done it. Tony, you're the newbie. I hope you've got your seatbelt on there. So we're going to ask each of you, where are you calling from or where did we find you? And what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world? So David Dixon, talk to me. Yeah, so uh, you... Uh, I'm in Mexico City, uh, working uh, uh, with a, a retailer down here, and uh, you, I'm in my hotel room having uh, a chamomile tea in my cup. Uh, I think uh, when I was on your show last, I was a coffee addict, and I've now since moved on to herbal teas, and it's a very relaxing drink, uh, this chamomile, so I like having them. Very nice. Uh, somebody on our show an hour ago was drinking lemon chamomile, and it's interesting. His drink of choice, he was on a week ago with me, was chocolate milk right out of the box, right out of the cardboard box, not the kind you mix and make all kinds of fancy. And I said, you have to bring me another drink, and he told me he likes chamomile, lemon chamomile as well. Uh, David, what brings you, may I ask, what brings you to Mexico City? Uh, you know, it's work and it's finance, and um, actually the story that, um, well, what Elizabeth was just talking about reminded me, you know, of uh, something that, uh, you know, might appeal to the younger generation is is that, um, you know, large organizations, it's hard for them to move, and here I'm working with a family-owned, you know, retailing business that was just hit by these earthquakes, you know, these market-disrupting um, uh, events, and I mean, they felt it, you know, right here in, in Santa Fe. Fortunately, Santa Fe wasn't as hit as hard as, as some of the other parts of Mexico City, 
And uh, because it was family-owned, they were able to move very fast. They started, you know, uh, financially supporting people in the regions that were hit. And they had retail stores that, that got hit pretty hard and uh, did a lot of, you know, philanthropy. They were able to move fast, right? And I think um, that's one of the appealing things, too, is, is, is to try to get organizations to be able to make financial decisions like that and move fast, at, you know, to be able to help and respond to events that are, um, you know, they're unpredictable. Um, Thank you very so, much. I'm, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm down here doing it and hopefully putting in a system that is going to even help it, you know, help them be more adaptive and quicker around this stuff. David, this is the part of post-disaster life that we don't hear about. We talk about relief in terms of food and water and power. Yes, we all need that. But we don't normally hear about the business side. So I want to say to you, you're very busy and you're traveling, and thank you for joining us. Now, before I go to Tony, tell us a little bit of people who don't know what Truquad does. Just tell us a little bit about your company and why you started it. David? Uh, yeah, sure. I, we, we, uh, uh, you know, we, when we started, we were really focused on the FP&A function, um, but we have people with uh, ERP financial backgrounds and have since moved into uh, ERP uh, uh, financial implementations. And this is a great topic because we're seeing a blurring here uh, uh, at, at the edges of FP&A and, and uh, ERP finance, um, and that's where we focus with the specialization in analytics. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And how long ago did you co-found the company, David? Uh, it was 2010. Okay. So it's uh, reasonably new. Uh, to me, that's a young company. Forgive me. Everything. Yeah, we started radio in 2011, and I still think of it as brand new. So thank you very much. And now let's talk to your colleague, Tony Guderslow. And Tony, you're also at, at Truqua. Tony, tell us where are you today, and what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world? Uh, well, I am in the Truqua um, down uh, corporate offices in downtown Chicago. So I'm up on the uh, 30th floor of a high rise here, overlooking our, our beautiful skyline. And uh, this morning I'm I'm just drinking coffee. Um, but I'd say my favorite drink in the world is a good German half of Weizen beer. Uh, I spent a semester in Germany when I was in college and had the the opportunity to go to Munich and to Oktoberfest. And and if you've ever had the opportunity, if you're fan of beer once you drink the the genuine stuff down in germany it's, it's hard to drink anything else so that's probably my favorite drink in the whole wide world very interesting can you spell that for me what's the name of the beer oh it's called uh hefeweizen it's a german wheat beer it's the german word for like a light wheat beer but it's hefe e uh, h-e-f-e and then weizen v-e-i-z-e-n I, I found it. My it. German. I found it. Yep. It's H-E-F-E-W-E-I-Z-E-N, and I found it on beeradvocate.com, and you can go find out how it's a wheat beer, usually top fermented brewed with a large proportion of wheat relative to the amount of malted barley. Uh, the two main varieties are Wies beer and Wit beer, W-I-T. Minor types are Lambic, Berliner Weiss, and Ghost. That's from Wikipedia. Very interesting. Thank you so much for that. Very interesting. And now, Elizabeth, where are you today, and what do you love to drink? Well, I'm calling you from sunny South Florida, from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, from my home office. And um, I would have to say probably my favorite drink would be an apple martini. (laughs) (laughs) She's not shy. I'm glad. Is there any special kind of ingredients you like in that, a recommended uh, ingredient? 
Um, I'm a, I'm a Tito's vodka girl myself, and then the standard uh, de pucker at the apple de pucker um, mix with it. So just the vodka and the apple pucker together. Sounds very good. I'm puckering just thinking about it. Thank you very much. <laughs> and as Elizabeth and David may remember, it's been a while and Tony doesn't know me. They do not let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm having a cool, clear glass of water, but I cheated a little bit in my banana milkshake this morning with 2% milk and a little bit of ice, a little bit of agave, half a banana, a little tiny bit of vanilla ice cream. I had a little bit of leftover Cuban coffee, one of the Nespresso bonuses the past couple weeks for the fall variety on espresso and a little bit of cold leftover coffee. It did have caffeine. I put a couple tablespoons of my milkshake, so I'm flying today. What can I tell you? We are talking about a very interesting topic. Those of you who are new listeners and say, what? Financial? Seriously? How could it be exciting? Why would people want to be in that profession? The answer is yes, it is. Yes, they do. Yes, they are. Very interesting topic. Uh, I'm just going to do Elizabeth telling you and uh, Chris Grundy at SAP who put together this really good panel and topic. This is one of our most popular shows. We have an audience all over the world that even listens to the the older episodes of this show from 2016, 2015. People still want to know this. So yes, it's popular. Yes, it's important. And yes, we're thrilled to have a couple of live episodes here in the fall of 2017. My special guests today are David Dixon and Tony Guderslow from Truqua and Elizabeth Milne at SAP. Our topic today is predictive close and predictive accounting getting granular we're going to get even more granular when we come back from the break so don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial we'll be right back Aaron out when it comes to business you'll find the experts here Voice America Business Network. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. S4 HANA Finance, powered by SAP, is part of SAP S4 HANA, the next generation business suite. SAP S4 HANA Finance draws upon innovative in-memory mobile and cloud technologies to deliver one common secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more about SAP S4 HANA Finance at SAP.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to financial excellence with Game Changers. Exactly, and that's what we're talking about. If you're in the finance profession now or looking to get into it or just curious, we are talking about the fact that excellence and finance do go together very well. Our special panel today, David Dixon and Tony Gutreslow from Truqua and Elizabeth Milne at SAP. 
We're going to kick off the roundtable, even though we have been going around the table quite a bit on the topic. For the first half, we're going to kick it off with some notes here. Let's see what David Dixon told me before the show. Okay. David said, but even for finance functions that are insulated from market turmoil, there is a place for predictive close for all the routine and everyday stuff like chasing down reconciliation issues and clerical errors well ahead of the time crunch that we know as financial close. I think there's a da-da-da in there. David Dixon, tell us more about the predictive aspects. Go ahead. Sure, sure. Yeah, so what I wanted to capture here on the second point is that we talked a lot about, you know, sort of the exciting aspects of finance with the, you know, ever-changing market dynamics and being able to respond and being um, a seat at the table and being a decision maker. But there is the everyday aspects of, and, and yes, a little bit more mundane aspects of clothes that predictive uh, clothes and predictive accounting can help and facilitate. And this may resonate for those people that are actually seeing, you know, they're more insulated from these events uh, that are uh, just trying to get through uh, the their close process. And we know that uh, the close cycles for finance and accountants is very stressful. I mean, we, we can talk to people that have pulled late-nighters, weekenders, trying to get these things in and, and the healthy amount of sweat. And we know that we're not performing at our best when we're stressed out and we're dealing with lack of sleep. And when we make mistakes in the accounting function, that's a big deal. That's why we put so many hours in there. But even there, you know, to to err is human. And if we don't have automation, if we don't have tools, we don't have technology, we can make mistakes. And those mistakes can be big, big bucks uh, in the form of, you know, compliance uh, uh, risk and penalties or uh, just missed opportunities um, or misstatements. Um, and it's not just limited to the Excel spreadsheet. There's accounting systems. I've been in environments where people were live with their new accounting package and discovered, oh, we, you know, we made a mistake. And so these are things that cause a lot of organizational stress. And, and so just the notion of being able to go through a close before the close and actually take some of the work off. It's, it's kind of like if you have a house guest and you got someone coming over the house and you got to clean your house all of a sudden and it's a big stress out, well, you're going to miss a few things and it's not going to be as nice if you've just kept some maintenance going you know, th- uh, throughout your daily activities. And so it's kind of like that, right? You just are going out and using the system and a lot of organizations know where they're going to end. They know where, where the close is going to be. So why can't they get started on it earlier? Why do they got to wait to the end? So, and, and that's, it's an interesting dichotomy because we, what I introduced first was responding to market events and being adaptive. That's mm-hmm. one end of the spectrum, right? So being able to uh, uh, get predictive to get early warning signals of something's wrong, like a sudden drop on sales order on one end. And the other end is just more of, hey, it's business as usual, and I know where I'm going to end, and why can't I just get ahead of the close cycle so that I don't have, um, you know, the, the stressed out all-nighters and weekenders. Um, so well, that, there's, there's an interesting dichotomy sounds... here. But that, that's the second point to say there's, there's use cases for predictive close, um, you know, even beyond just the two examples I gave. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting perspective and, and on the job and on the hours. And I know there are some cartoons online about, uh, yeah, you're, you're not a real finance person unless what you say, what, vacation, what, Friday night, what, Sunday with the family, seriously? We won't go there, but I think that's what you're addressing. Tony, let's get your thoughts on this. Agree or disagree? Uh, well, I, I agree uh, with what David's saying is that there's a, there are a lot of different use cases 
for the uh, predictive close capabilities of being able to simulate and see what your month end is going to look like well before you're at the end of the month. And um, uh, I see a big, a big opportunity there is kind of David touched on potential clerical errors, but I would say even beyond that, just um, other things where uh, in, in, within your organization and general operations where things might get missed or might not get done or uh, happen as you were expecting them to. Um, so that also gives management a proactive ability to uh, address potential issues or problems with different departments. Uh, a good example could be if they're expecting a certain um, sales order or customer order to come in and hit in a certain period and that they've been received guidance from their sales department that that's going to happen, but then they run the, the predictive close and see, wait a minute, it's not there, we're short. Um, then that suddenly empowers them to go have that conversation and say, well, why we thought this would hit this period? Is, it, is there something wrong? Is there something we need to do? Is there an incentive we, we can offer the customer to close the deal so we hit our numbers for this quarter? Uh, it just, I think it not only helps identify what we would say errors, but any uh, hap, uh, potential mishaps or shortcomings um, throughout all of your operations that enables them to proactively go after those things and solve them rather than retroactively seeing, oh, gosh, we missed it. guess we're going to have to make up for it next period. Thank you. Very interesting. I'm glad you got that word proactive in there. Elizabeth Millen, love to get your thoughts on this. Well, I like what David, his analogy about cleaning up your house. It's, it's, it is, if you work, I mean, and you're just messy and the house is always messy, right? And then as soon as you have guests over, then you're going to spend all this time cleaning and you won't have enough time to make a great meal. So retroactively, if you went back and you cleaned as you went, then you could start making a more elegant meal sooner, right? So you could make the, bake that cake or do whatever it is, right? And I like that. That's a great analogy. I'm going to start using that in my talk track. But, uh, but that is what it's all about, is what can we do in the accounting process so that we're not all piled on, piled up at, at the end of the period? And one of the things that you can do if you do keep yourself clean as you go along and you check things is, is really this predictive aspect. And, I mean, it's worth noting that it's, it's technology that really gives you that granularity, which is what we had in our title as well, too, right? Mm-hmm. And to build yeah. on what Tony said with the sales orders, right? I mean, if you have an invoice that's out there and you have a good idea of how often that, that uh, you know, that customer pays, then you can make a very granular prediction of whether or not that revenue is going to hit in the period that you're in or not. Now, getting down to that level of detail is not something we had the time or the processing power to do before. And now with technology, it's, it's, that's where the big data aspect of things really impacts finance, I think, is being able to process these things at such a detailed level that you can make a better prediction throughout the period so that you can bake that cake and make that nice <laughs> pastry for your guests and be able to have that served up before, you know, get it all ready before they even get there. I'm trying to tweet that, Elizabeth. That was great. <laughs> that was great. David, yeah, you didn't know we were going to be... Is, you know, IRS, or the <laughs> you want them in and out. <laughs> this is true. I'm, I'm still thinking of how I, I wait until a half hour before a guest come. While I have the, the pumpkin chocolate chip uh, walnut cupcakes and muffins in the oven, Elizabeth, then I, and David, uh, then I'm running around cleaning the house. But I, I think I can be more orderly now in a, in a, in a cleanup closed way, proactively. That's Tony's word. Thank you very much. Uh, David, anything you want to wrap up on this? Good opening topic because I'm ready to go to a case study from Tony. So anything you want to add, David Dixon? Well, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think the only thing I'll add is that, um, uh, you know, when, when 
you know, when we talk about predictive, I, I, you know, we use that word, I, I think most people think, wow, this is, you know, maybe this is not us, and, you know, we're, we're still back, you know, and, and uh, you know, mm. we, we don't see the ability to change and adopt this. And I just think it's a natural progression. If you start to look at it, it just makes common sense to, you've got an integrated, you know, if you have an integrated system and you have this information and you know this stuff, you know, why not apply it? And the, the, the point is the technology is there, and, and, and people are implementing new accounting packages all the time, but they're just repaving, you know, the cow paths. They're just doing it the old way, and there's an opportunity to, to take advantage of these new concepts, uh, uh, you know, today, uh, even um, if you just, um, you know, if you just start looking at uh, the information that's already available within your organization and then just figure out how to apply it. So, yeah, it takes a little bit more... Um, elbow grease, but but it's not um, you know science fiction stuff that we're talking about. That's good to know. Okay, so thank you very much, Tony. Let's take a look. You one of your last uh, talking points you sent me for the roundtable. Let me read this and and ask you to tell us a little bit more. You say predictive accounting can have a big impact on prioritization of work in progress items, especially for service companies. And you referenced in your notes to me, Tony, you spoke with the CEO of a transportation service and maintenance company. Why don't you tell us the story? I think our listeners will find it very, very interesting. Go ahead, Tony. Uh, Well, certainly. Well, in uh, preparing for this show, I was talking with a couple of um, different uh, executives and and folks in the industry. And... um, one who I spoke with, yes, yeah, she's in, in charge of a trans- transportation service and maintenance company. They do uh, repairs and service and maintenance on delivery trucks uh, across the whole Bay Area. And uh, when talking to her about what this could potentially mean and how it could improve or benefit her company, she said that's one of her biggest pain points right now. Is her service department at any given time will have hundreds of repair orders, um, work in progress of, of different trucks, different vehicles that they're, they're working on. Um, and it's always a guessing game of what's going to get done. They can't issue the invoice or recognize the revenue on that job until the job is done and then, and then they, they invoice the customer. And so um, she's, from a strategic perspective, always trying to figure out and trying to kind of um, balance out the, the service department's um, periodic revenue so that it looks fairly even throughout the year. But sometimes she says they'll have big spikes where a lot of long jobs, big jobs that they've been working on for a while, all finish it around the same time. And then they send out a whole bunch of invoices and then they'll have other big dips where they're kind of working on stuff mid uh, and it's not done by the end of the month. So it looks like they had a really big, bad month. And she says it ends up making their financials look not really accurately reflect the amount of work and the amount of business that the department is doing just because of the nature of how these things hit. Um, and so she said one of the best tools that she could do, or a great thing that this might enable her to do would be to really analyze and, and better prioritize the work in progress and say, you know, finish this job first, uh, not only from uh, keeping the customers happy um, and allocation of resources, but also just from how she wants to strategically manage the financial performance of that department um, because she has shareholders and other uh, people that she has to uh, answer to. And so she needs to be able to show, you know, positive growth and positive performance year over year. And right now, if you look at it, it's just kind of all over the place. And um, she's saying that, yes, being able to do predictive closing, predictive accounting to see exactly what jobs are in progress, when they're currently scheduled to finish, and then being able to have more meaningful conversations with her service managers about, 
reprioritizing those uh, would be a tremendous help and, and a tremendous value add for her. Thank you. We, we love case studies, Tony, because they get us out of the philosophical or uh, just the discussion mode into real world. And I think that's what people in our listening audience really want to know is how can you apply this to a real company? Elizabeth, I'm going to ask you to please comment on the case study Tony shared. Do you have anything to add to that? Or Elizabeth, do you have any other cases you could share with us? Um, just to comment on that, one of the things that I was thinking about is just the fact that in today's, with today's technology, it's a matter of combining the transactional data with the analytics data. I mean, we thought we mentioned in the beginning where it's uh, the FP&A combined with the financial consolidation, those two business aspects of it. But from an aspect, you know, just looking at it from a different angle, you've got the transactional data now combining that with the analytical data. And to, to Tony's case story there is that that transactional data of where they are in the job and when it might finish and when they might re- recognize the revenue, that's where you're going to start merging that transactional data with the analytical data. I mean, traditionally, those are done in completely different systems, different silos, different people. And now it's all getting merged together. And I think that that's, that's a key point there. I was actually just listening to a large retailer telling uh, one of his case stories. And that was actually, I wrote that down when he said it earlier on this morning because I wanted to bring that in. Was it, it's, it's a matter of combining that transactional aspect with the analytics and how they used to be so separate. And now it's, it's just integral that they're together. Thank you. Really good point, and I'm, I'm tweeting that one as well. Thank you, Elizabeth. David Dixon, going around the table to you. Thoughts on the case study? Anything you want to add? Any different one you'd well, like sure, to yeah. share? Yeah, I have Please. a case study uh, as well, working with a, a group CFO of a large uh, pharmaceuticals who we're talking about a roadmap, right, to predictive close, where where they're going to start and where they have. They have their the FP&A function knows where their expenses and revenue are, are going to hit, and they want to apply that to their uh, predictive close because that's information they already have and they want to you know, have the advantage of being able to do this stuff in advance. But, uh, but we're talking about a roadmap and an evolution of saying, well, that's backward looking even there because you're usually, usually looking at history as a forecast to the future. So if you're in a stable environment and things aren't changing too much, then yeah, that that'll work because the future, you know, the past is a predictor of the future. But when you, when you do that, there's a trap that, you know, unexpected events, when there's like a sudden drop-off in sales orders or purchase order activity, um, there, there's a sudden drop-off in, in, in uh, business events, uh, uh, then you're, you're missing that part of it. And so part of the roadmap is, and discussion is, oh, hey, can we move from the FP&A function and move more onto the sales and logistics side where we start to look at, you know, the, the incoming sales orders and that information is an early indicator of what's going to happen from a financial perspective because eventually those sales order converts into invoices and payments and turn into cash. And so it's early in the life cycle of order to cash. Grab that and run a close on that information on, on uh, the sales side. And same thing on the procurement side and uh, inventory side and start to grab you know these early indicators within their integrated systems and use that to power the close. And then that's truly event-driven. That's not just a guess. That's not a guesswork. That's not a prediction of the past, but it's actually real-time what's going on in your operations and being able to uh, sense and respond to those, those events. So, um, so that's something that yeah, we're, we're, you know, um, working with a, uh, um, uh, uh, an organization that um, is starting to think in those terms. 
Thank you, David. Tony, you started this. Got some good energy going around the table here. Tony, anything you want to wrap up on this? Because I have one more topic we can squeeze in before our predictions uh, from Elizabeth's list. So go ahead, Tony. Well, I, uh, I think just my last comment on this is that uh, we're talking about the term prediction a lot, but but really a lot, most, I would say probably most finance departments are already, do, already doing something similar with their annual budgeting, forecasting, and planning activities. And um, what I kind of foresee here is that this could lead to a bit of a, a paradigm shift where the old model was always, you know, you put out your forecast and then you wait till the end of the month and see how close you came to it with actuals, and then you go back and adjust your forecast going forward based off of what happened with your actuals. But now that we are getting into predictive accounting, it gives you the opportunity to, as we said, kind of maybe start trying to adjust, I wouldn't say adjust your actuals, but, but um, pivot your operations as need be so that you can more accurately hit your forecast. And, and that where it's always in the, been the forecast is the thing that changes. Now we're empowering um, executives and managers to to more uh, adjust where they expect their actuals to hit so that they can be closer and more aligned with their forecast. And then building on that, that's really how a lot of them get evaluated. How well did they do? And it's not a, mm-hmm. always a matter of just, you know, were you in the, in, the, in the black, but rather how close did you come to hitting your forecast? And so I think that's going to be very high interest because that's what a lot of them get their um, performance evaluate performance evaluation based on. Thank you, Tony. Good points. And Elizabeth, uh, we might have done this at the beginning of the show, but here we are almost at the end, and I want to make sure we get some definitions in. So in your notes, you sent me the definition of four terms. I think they're important. Hard close, fast close, continuous close, and predictive close. You want to give us a little level setting here, Elizabeth Milne, please? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things to think about with all of this is that, that you've got the hard close. So at the end of the period, even if you're doing this predictive accounting stuff, at the end of the period, you're going to have to produce those financial reports. That's the hard close you're, you're needed for management and statutory purposes, right? That's not going away. We're not going to have real-time annual reports. That's not a requirement by customers. You know, you're still going to have to put the stake in the stand and produce those financial reports. So that's the hard close has existed for centuries and will continue to exist. Fast close, then, is something that was more pioneered around the late 60s. Xerox was one of the first companies to do that, um, where they started using the computer processing in order to speed up the fast close and the number of days to close and to reduce that and to automate wherever possible to be able to speed up the close. That's going to be the fast close. And then as a progression of time goes from there, then you've got the continuous close, which is continuous accounting that let's clean up as we go. Let's see what we can get done during the middle, during the period so that we can get to that last step there, which is the predicted close. So if I've done, if I've automated, if I cleaned up a lot of my clothes so that there's not as much to do at the end of the period that maybe in the middle of the period, I can start looking at all these different things. I love the different case studies. We talked about the pharmaceutical, retail, transport services, right? These are all very different industries, but then you talk about order to cash or revenue recognition, and, I mean, these are just standardized processes. So it's all a matter of they they all build on each other, right? They're all important in the process, and they're all possible, and it's just a matter of, Let's see if we can get past that change management aspect that we've always done it that way to only doing the hard close to saying, okay, 
Let's see what we can do to speed up the close. Let's see what we can do to continuously account during the period. And then on this topic, let's see what we can do is, is to get more accurate with our predictions. Thank you. Great level setting. You know, that's what I call Elizabeth and, and uh, appreciate that. Good energy there as well. I, I love it when we have an energetic discussion about finance. I think that surprises <laughs> a lot of people. Really? Seriously? Real people having a good... Yes, we do here. So, David Dixon, we are officially in the crystal ball predictions mode. And it's funny, I'm asking you to make a prediction because our topic is predictive close, predictive accounting. So now we're going to predict about predictive. I'm sorry, David. So we're going to go to the second or 99th power, however much math you want to do. So, David Dixon, I'm going to start off giving you 60 seconds. I'll save 60 for Tony and 60 for Elizabeth. We know you're all going to go 90 seconds, so I'm count. I'm factoring that into the equation here. So, David, take a look into the future. I'm keen on 2020. 2020, not that far away. Three more New Year's Eves, and that's it. Hope you got some good champagne on ice already. David, predict what will be different significantly about this topic. Tell me how far in the future between now and 2020. Go. Yeah, so I think when I'm, um, uh, you invite me back to the show in 2020 and we're talking about the same topic. Um, <laughs> From your lips to the radio God's about, ears, dear. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to be talking about not just predicting in the middle of a close, you know, for the end of the close, but the outward closes. So I think we can go, you know, uh, the, the, right now we're focused on the, you know, the period close within the period, but I think there's going to be potential because I think the blurring with FP&A is going to continue and it's going to reach, because FP&A still squarely does like like in a long range forecast with around like capex and strategy planning but and and, and predictive closes very much within the uh, close cycles but i think it'll go out periods as well as i think we'll get into the world of you know what if and probabilities you know, like the low, medium, high probability events and, and start to do some, you know, what if, right, uh, scenario playing uh, when, when the, um, the, you know, the, 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 this becomes adopted practice. Thank you. That was certainly provocative. I appreciate that. I'm trying to tweet it, and I think I got most of it here. Tony Guderslow from Truqua as well. Tony, I can give you a whole 60 seconds, not much more. Talk to me. Predict, please. Well, um, I, I predict it's going to be getting better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hold on a minute. Um, I've heard that in a song somewhere. Come on. You can't yeah. do that. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know if this is a prediction necessarily, but I, I, what I wonder is I, I touched a little bit about performance evaluation. And so I mm-hmm. wonder and, and postulate how is that going to change going forward? Uh, like I said, it, Usually, the it's people get evaluated. Not only people, but companies too, because that's how the the Wall Street analysts gauge whether a, a company stock should go up or down. It's not usually whether or not they were successful, but whether or not how close did they come to their forecast? How come mm-hmm. close did they come to hitting their targets? And so, um, I think there's people always place a lot of value on that. Like if you can more accurately set a target and hit it that's a sign of a very good performance. And as we're able to start doing that better and better now with predictive accounting and predictive closing, um, is there going to be a point where it's not even really that, that big of a challenge because everyone already knows what their target's going to be because it's been accurately predicted? And so I guess what I would say is I wonder then how is that going to change how people evaluate and, and gauge the performance of, of companies and, and department managers um, as it becomes I wouldn't say easier, but more and more consistent on setting and hitting targets. Uh, what's been the next piece of uh, that's going to be considered as, as what they can, 
evaluate uh, good performance versus um, average performance on. Thank you very much. Elizabeth, I saved 60 seconds for you. Fantastic. So I'm not sure about 2020, but one of the things that I'm excited to see definitely in my lifetime is going to be able to ask Siri about my financials. So if you think about it, the mm. first smartphone came out in 1995. Siri's been around mm-hmm. since 2010. And we've got um, the other one that, from Amazon that I can't say because she'll hear me right now. But, um, <laughs> but it, it will be able to, to talk to my smartphone and be able to ask them and say, can you tell me what my revenue is for this division? And she'll be able to tell you. Or if you can say, what's my inventory and such and such, or what's my predicted inventory for the end of the period, or what's my predicted um, inventory for the end of the year. So those types of just being able to ask a smartphone and getting that right answer is something that I'm looking forward to. I don't, (laughs) it's not quite possible yet, but I think with the voice recognition, with this level of granularity and accuracy that we're going to be able to get to, being able to layer the speech recognition on top of that and being able to have that one version of the truth. So that when I'm asking my phone, that it's going to give me that accurate information, that that's, that's something that I'm looking forward to that's, that's coming in the future, I, I predict. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. I have never heard that from anybody. And I mentioned, uh, Elizabeth, yesterday that we did a show on conversational AI. That was not one of the use cases that came up, even in the predictions. So we're going to have to talk about that one. And then there's a question <laughs> of confidentiality, right? If, uh, if you've got it on speaker, of course you would, uh, and somebody's in the room listening, do you really want them to know? We'll have to talk about that, Elizabeth. Thank you to David Dixon and Tony Guterslow from Truqua. Elizabeth Milne, always a pleasure to have you on the show. This has been a really interesting episode talking about, well, they're not dry topics at all, predictive clothes, predictive accounting, getting granular. We learned a lot. I certainly did. Thank you for listening. And do a shout-out to Chris Grundy at SAP, working with Elizabeth to put together this very fascinating topic, IMHO. So here we go. Here are my shout outs. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, right now, just like David Dixon, just like Tony Guterslow, just like Elizabeth Milne. And I will see you tomorrow live on Coffee Break with Game Changers right here on the Business Channel, World Talk Radio, 11 a.m. Eastern. We're going to be talking about social selling at the tipping point. If your company is reactive and not proactive, you may be a little bit too late. Have a great one. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO. And join host Bonnie D. Graham Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.